there and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. This morning, um, last week Mike kicked off the series of looking at the Bible um, we didn't have all those series graphics at that point, but we do now. And this is what the series is called. I oh, can't even see it. I love my Bible. Anybody else love the Bible? Yes? Good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, through this series, we're going to look at why we should love the Bible. We're going to answer some of the big questions about the Bible. So last week, Mike kicked us off with, like, what is the Bible? Um, and actually, last week, Mike covered all of the topics that are coming up in the whole series. So he started speaking, and I was like, that's in my notes for next week, Mike. What is that all about? And I'm sure that Esther, in fact, I spoke to Esther on Monday, and she said exactly the same thing ready for next week. Um, so we've had to like, really plan hard and work hard. So, um, so this is going to be exciting as we go on this journey. Are you excited for this? Yeah, yeah good. Um, today I want to ask a question, and this is what the title, or this is what the, the plan for this morning is, is can we trust the Bible? Can I trust it? Um, in short, the answer is really simple, and the answer is yes. Yes, you can. Um, but rather than just saying yes, I'm going to explore a little bit about why we can trust it, and then, and then what it looks like if we choose to trust the Bible in our everyday lives. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, many of you are looking at me as if to say, yeah, I trust the Bible, so let's just go. Uh, but... Uh, I believe that there's some wisdom for us to gain this morning from the Bible. Um, before we do that, we're going to have a little bit of fun, if that's okay. Now, um, I'll give you the option. We can either risk seeing somebody get hurt, or somebody may have a gift. Which would you prefer? Someone getting hurt. Oh, wow, you're so quiet. Uh, which one should we do this morning? Get hurt. Yeah, kind of, because I, I, I actually fear if we, if we went for the hurt option today, there may be an ambulance required. So rather than doing that, um, under somebody's seat, there's a gift. Why don't you have a little rummage around? If nobody finds it, maybe it's in a, one of the empty seats. There's a little gift under one of your seats. Mike, it's not that before you shout. <laughs> it might be stuck to the very bottom of your seat. Why not have a reach around and... and I promise you I put something under one of the seats. It's, it's in that area. I'm pretty sure it's like retail Sue's. Go on, right underneath. Right under your seat. Lift it up. Have a look. Is it gone? Someone's robbed it. Oh, Rita. Oh. Too good a job of hiding it. Maybe I'm Santa. Oh, chocolate. Okay, uh, so for this illustration, Rita, would you come join me for a second, please? Now, would you rather do this or do a trust fall? <laughs> Just take a step up here. Would you rather, um, do you trust me is the first question. You do? Okay. Uh, do you trust me enough to turn around, close your eyes, and trust me to catch you? No, 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 no. I've got, I've got a better option for you. Um, so there's a chocolate under there. But if I told you that I had a gift for you that is better than the chocolate, would you believe me? Yes. Would you? Yes. Wow. Okay, close your eyes. 
and you'll get a surprise and not a punch in the face, I promise. <laughs> Put your hands up in front of you. There you go. Um, I'll be honest, they were a gift from Emily's class at Christmas and they run out of date in two months. So you're going to need to get through them. But they are all yours. Enjoy. Okay, go, go on. Thanks. Give Rita a round of applause. Uh, I wonder if you ever put your trust in somebody and it's completely failed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was really quick. Uh, or have you put your trust in something and seen like the real benefits of it? I wonder if you've got a better story than like chocolate coming to you <laughs> instead. Um, when I was thinking about this, I did. Uh, I looked at what trust is, and, and really, trust means putting your confidence in someone or something taking it out of your control, even though you have no idea what the result of that is going to be, right? So um, if you put your trust in somebody who's driving you, you're, you're believing in their ability to drive. Now, I've heard that the Williams men are rubbish drivers. <laughs> dangerous. Dangerous drivers, not rubbish. Dangerous. So would you trust Mike to drive you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. But would you trust Mike to teach you about the Bible? Yes. You're not satisfied with that, are you? <laughs> I, was, I was a van driver. It's not my fault, it's the vans. <laughs> As a van driver, I can confirm that is not true. We are all stupid. Um, hey, let's get into this because we can just, like, let's waste, not waste any more time, okay? Can we trust the Bible? The answer to that is... Yes, we can trust the Bible. Now, um, if you want to look at it really practically, here's the evidence of why you can trust the Bible. So any literary source, if you're going to use it in like writing a, an essay or for a degree or anything like that, you have to do some checks. You have to like triple source it to make sure that it is worth using, right? Mike, you're doing your dissertation. Is that true? Okay. Uh, the Bible has so much evidence for it that actually you're more stupid not to believe it than you are to believe it. I know that sounds really harsh, but it's true. There is so much evidence for it. And, and even the Bible itself is evidence for itself. John, you've got this list that's going to come up. Um, the Bible was written by 40 people. Now, there are less than 40 people in this room, and I guarantee we, if we were to write stuff, would be less trustworthy than the Bible is. It was written over 1,500 years, and now there's not 1,500 years between the oldest person in this room and the youngest person. Not quite. And yet, and yet, the Bible is still more trustworthy than we would be in this room. Uh, it was written by 40 people from different nations, different upbringings, different career paths. You had, like, prophets to fishermen, and it was written by people from everything, kings, prophets, priests, and all the way through it, the Bible is so trustworthy. Why is it trustworthy? Because it's God-breathed. And yet, despite all of that, in the 66 books of the Bible, there are zero contradictions. Not once does something get said within the Bible that contradicts itself within the Bible. Does that make sense? Now, like I say, in this room, there are less than 40 people this morning. We're all from a very similar-ish background. Like, everyone in this room is English. So we all come from that standpoint. Uh, sorry. Almost. The, the Zimbabwean in the room is giving me evils. I'm sorry, Margaret. <laughs> Hans is really pointing it out, like, not her. Uh, 
we're all from a similar like background in terms of like where we've grown up, what we believe, definitely because we're in this room. And yet, if we were to write stuff down, I'm sure that we would find at least one contradiction. And I can point one out right now. The best rugby team in the world is Gloucester. Correct, John? No. Ah, two contradictions. Because Esther's an Exeter fan. Bath, Gloucester, like right there, there's going to be a contradiction. And yet the Bible, in everything, across all the years, across all the writers, there are zero contradictions. That's trustworthy. And so if we believe that, then imagine the difference that the Bible can make in our world. Here's what the Bible says about itself in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. If you've got a Bible, uh, why not turn with me to that right now? There's going to be a lot more Bible verses coming later, but we're going to fly through them. So here's what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's really powerful. Let me read it again. All scripture... Every single bit of it is God-breathed, written by man, but breathed by God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, We're going to break this down very quickly because it's important that we consider all of this. Oh, come on. So, in it. The Bible is useful for teaching. Teaching is the development of understanding. It's useful for rebuking. And rebuking, sometimes we don't really like that word because of what it means. It means uh, to to express a sharp disapproval. Ooh. Ooh. Now, as a kid, when sharp disapproval was shown to me, sometimes it came with a bit of a hand. Very rarely, because I'm I'm fortunate in the age that I grew up, that's, that's not approved of anymore. But once or twice, there may have been a smack across my bottom when I was really naughty. Uh, Rebuking, correcting, realigning to truth and for training, which is the development of skills. Now, I don't know about you, and I hate to admit this, but I need all of that in my life. Because I need to learn more, and I definitely want to learn more from the Bible. There are times when rebukement is needed in my life because I'm human, I'm prone to sin, And whether you like it or not, so are you. Sorry, even the very best of us in this room. Uh, Correcting, because I get things wrong more often than I like to admit. And training, because I want to become better. Now, all of that is what the Bible is given to us for. But it goes one step further, because it's not just used for that. And this is the danger that that, um, can come about in, in the Christian world, is that all of this gets used without the next step of this. So when people say, oh, the Bible is like Bible bashing, comes about when that is done without this next step. Because all of that is good when it comes in line with righteousness. So I want to ask you this morning, uh, when you use the Bible to teach somebody or to rebuke somebody or correct or train somebody, do you do it with righteousness or do you just do it with like... Because if we get this wrong all of a sudden the church becomes a place that people don't want to be. Because we all know this, this book is countercultural. There is stuff in here that we believe in, that we teach, that without righteousness is just attacking people. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that's not my God. My God doesn't attack. My God loves. 
And so we need to make sure that when we're using the Bible for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, we do it in righteousness. And, and that's vital when it comes to stuff like this. That also means, and, and I think Mike's going to cover this in a few weeks' time, when it comes to the Bible, we can't pick and choose out of it. We can't do that. We can't say, oh, that doesn't relate to us anymore because that's like, that was good for them, but it's not good for us now. There's stuff in here that like is countercultural today, but I firmly still believe is God-breathed and is vital for us today. So how do we go about using that? And Mike's going to talk about this, but it comes down to using it in righteousness. It means that all of the stuff that we read in the Bible is given to us that we may live in alignment with how God created us to live. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more God-like in everything that I do. Verse 17, so that the servant of God, that's you, that's me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're not given these tools to make people feel bad about themselves. We're not given these tools to like really beat up on the world, but rather that we might be equipped for every good work. Ephesians 6 verse 17, you might know this, at the very end of the armor of God says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So all of a sudden, this book isn't just a good guide for life, but is actually a tool and a weapon that we can use in our day to day. Not to, like I say, attack people, but rather to attack the principalities and darkness that is in this world. Because God's called us to be bigger and, and, and better than that. So I fully believe that the Bible is truth. I fully believe that everything written in it will guide us and help us to succeed in everything that we do. Yes, in church, because success is key in order that other people will come to know Jesus, but also outside of it. Because who knows that uh, for most of us, nearly all of us, we spend less time in this room than we do anywhere else in our world in the week. Unless you were like me as a kid, where you just like, get me in the church as much as possible. Uh, you spend time at work, you spend time at home with your family, you spend time with friends, you spend time in your car driving and loving people, right? So if that's the case, then everything that we do, we must be being equipped for. And I firmly believe that there is truth in the Bible to help us in our everyday life and everywhere that we step. How do I know it's true? Because it backs itself up time and time and time again. So I'm going to look at a couple of areas in our lives that I believe the Bible speaks into and show you that it's not just like a New Testament ver like idea that is given to us. It's not just an Old Testament bit of law that was given to the people that doesn't relate to us now, but rather it backs itself up Old Testament and New Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. Like sometimes literally speaks the same words. Does that make sense? So the first place that we're going to look is how the Bible can help us at home. Now bear with me, as parents and kids, this is very real for me in my world at the moment, and I, I need the Lord to remind me at five o'clock in the morning some of these truths. Uh, here's what it says in Ephesians 6 verse 1 to 4. It's going to come up on the screen. Children and parents, don't we love to quote this? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let me take it down a step. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, that is from, and backs itself up in Deuteronomy 5.16, which is when Moses brings down the Ten Commandments, and it says, children, 
honor your mother and father as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. How often do we like to quote that first bit but then forget the so that you may live long and that it may go well. But then if we go back to that Ephesians verse just for a second, John, the second bit comes in parents, we don't like this as much. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I have to remind myself of that. I will not exasperate my kids. They're not at the point where they can be exasperated just yet. But I'm sure that day will come and they'll give me that. <sighs> Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You see, there's truth in the Bible that can impact your life, your relationships with your kids. And it will change their world for the better. Uh, your home in relationships, whether you're husband and wife or uh, partners, here's what it says in Ephesians 5, 21, 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's sometimes where we get this wrong. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. But who knows, it doesn't stop there. Men. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. But husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oof, what a charge. just as Christ loved the church. Uh, Genesis 2.24 says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Ephesians 5.23 says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. You see, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but rather backs itself up. The New Testament just goes a step further and says, hey, I know in the Old Testament, like it was all about the men, like they were strong and the women went, meh. The New Testament goes, hang on a second. We've got this wrong for a long time. So we're not going to go against what was said. We're just going to we're going to modernize it a little bit. So all the women in the room, you'll be pleased to know, we as men have a higher responsibility of not just making you submit, but then loving you like Jesus loves the church. And who knows how much Jesus loves the church. Guys, we've got to step up a little bit here. So equipped for your home and your relationships. Here's what it says about the workplace and. Sometimes this can be hard reading, right? Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Whatever you do. That's not just in church, but outside of church too, in your workplace. Colossians 2, 23, New Testament. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So I wonder, in your workplace, how often do you take a sneaky break on your phone because there's nothing to do for a minute? I would ask, would you do that in church? But I don't really want to know the answer, especially during a message. Uh, how often do you give everything, your everything in your workplace as you would for the Lord? The, the next verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, the Bible gives us truth about how we can live in our workplaces to make sure that those that we are around see the glory of God. And it backs itself up time and time again. In your friendships, and there are four, we're going to go Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and their brother is born for a time of adversity. John 15, 12 and 13, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Uh, Jesus speaking to us, by the way, not just mere man. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Uh, we'll go next. Job 16, 20 to 21. The guy that 
literally had everything taken away from him, says this, my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man who pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Hey, we need friends in our world. And if you're trying to do life alone, it's going to get very, very difficult very quickly. So I wonder, who is it that you're bigging up before they big you up? Who is it that you're praying for before they even pray for you? Who is it that you're encouraging before they encourage you? Because friendship is a two-way street. And if you feel like you're alone, then maybe start loving on somebody else. Because I'm sure you'll see that love come back to you very quickly. There's truth in the Bible that will help us in everything that we do. So can we trust the Bible? 100% yes. In everything, even when it's difficult. And we live in a world where it tells us that the Bible is out of date. It tells us that it's not applicable to what we believe anymore. It's not applicable to the world in which we live. But I'm not going to argue with you. I implore you to see that the Bible is for everything, for every day. It was written all those years ago and it was applicable then, it's applicable now. I've had to read a book recently by a guy called Preston Springfield and uh, here's one of the things that I've always struggled with. What happens when the stuff that is written in the Old Testament isn't then written in the New Testament? So there are some old laws that were given to the Israelites that we don't abide by anymore. Like don't wear mixed cottons, mixed fabrics. We'd be stuffed. Um, there's some stuff about like the kind of meat that you can eat. There's some stuff around um, all sorts. There are all sorts of bits. And what he wrote and what he writes in this book is, uh, in the Old Testament, the law was given and then Jesus came and grace covers us. For most of us, that, that's not a new concept. But then the challenge or what he spoke, what he wrote that really stood out to me was, there are things in the Old Testament that we look at and we go, oh, that's really hard hitting. Surely that can't be for today. But then when we look at the New Testament, it reaffirms it. And in fact, Jesus reaffirms it, even some of the hard stuff. And so how do we know which stuff is to stand and which stuff is like that was for the Israelites back then? Well, if it backs itself up with the New Testament, it still stands for us today because the New Testament is written from a place of grace, the Old Testament from a place of law. We don't live under law anymore, we live under grace, but there are still some things that the Bible gives us that we need to live by. And again, yes, some of it is countercultural, and some of it may put a target on our back as the church. But I firmly trust the Bible, I firmly trust the God that has given it to us, that breathed it, and so I will stand on it. That was a side note, and hopefully there was some something in there for you, but it definitely spoke to me. If we truly trust the Bible and if we take it as the word of God, use it to guide our lives, imagine what our world would look like. Imagine what your family may look like if you really, really work out what the Bible says about your family. Parents, love your kids. As much as they honor you, honor them more. Because sometimes they don't even know that what they're doing. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. 
I want our church to be known for being Bible-believing. Because the truth is the word of God is, ap- is appealing to people. This book is a book of love. It's a book of truth. It's a book of grace. And, and, and the world needs a bit more love. And, and godly love. The world needs more truth. The world definitely needs more grace because it doesn't take long to find somebody shouting at another person about what they stand for, right? And yet the Bible, being full of truth and being God-breathed, is one that speaks love and grace for everyone. All of a sudden, our church would become far more attractive to people if they felt like they could find a place where they belonged here. And when people find themselves rooted in the church, all of a sudden they become they begin to get to know this God a little bit more. And, and we all know the difference that God can make in our world. And, and that's what we're about, right? So I implore you, begin to trust the Bible a little bit more. And when you read it and it feels a little bit uncomfortable, don't just take it at word, but begin to ask God, like, what is it that you're trying to speak in this? Like, it, it feels feels heavy, God. And sometimes that's because it needs to, but sometimes it's because God needs us to wrestle a little bit with it and ask ourselves, like, do I believe this and why? And, and the, I, I firmly believe that the more that you embed yourself into the Bible and the more that you begin to love it for the word of God that it is, the more it begins to make sense to you, begins to make sense to us. And all of a sudden, using it to teach, to correct, to rebuke, to train, in righteousness makes us more approachable, makes us better coaches, makes us more loving towards people. And that's what we're called to do. So should you trust the Bible? Yes. Why? Practically, because there's loads of evidence that says it should be trusted. But for us as Christians, more than that, it's God's word to us. If you trust God, then trust his word. I'm going to finish. I'm just going to close in prayer. Um, Would you mind just coming up and playing something lovely behind for a second? There's not a big appeal out of this. This is quite a practical message, I guess, this morning. Uh, But I'd love to pray that that there would just be something that begins to, to birth within you if it's not already there. And if it is, just begin to grow a little bit more of your trust in God's word, if that's okay. And if that is, then just 